0: I'm Snehal, and you're listening to the MongoDB podcast. I'm here today to talk about the impact of dataset imbalance on machine learning and AI algorithms. So stay tuned.
1: Welcome to the MongoDB podcast. I'm Shane McAllister, and as ever, whether you're a regular subscriber or a brand new listener, we're glad to have you tune in and join us. In this episode, we're joined once again by Snehal Bhatia. Snehal is a solutions architect here at MongoDB. She previously joined us in an episode to talk about designing environmentally sustainable data architectures. In this episode, Snehal turns her attention to an area that she's very familiar with and an area that she did her own thesis in, but it has only now come to mainstream with the continued widespread adoption of machine learning and artificial intelligence. In this episode, we deep dive into the area of the impact of data set and balance on machine learning and AI. Speaking of deep dives, our MongoDB.local series of events has already started and is coming to 30 cities globally this year. Visit mongodb.com forward slash events to learn more about where and when our .local events are happening. And perhaps join us in person at a MongoDB.local event near you with that, let's get on with the show. And on today's show, it's fair to say that we have a friend of the MongoDB podcast, Snehal Bhatia, the solutions architect here at MongoDB. Welcome back, Snihal. How are you?
0: I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me again.
1: It's great to have you again. You joined us, I think, I did my notes somewhere, episode 136, which was back in mm-hmm. November. So it's been a number of months, but you joined us then to talk about designing environmentally sustainable architectures and if for our listeners if they want to go and listen to that episode we will link to it in the show notes as well too so you can jump back to that on whatever podcast app you use. In that show you were talking to us all about the environmental cost of data and data architecture and I remember one statistic in that which was the IT industry was equivalent in percentage in global emissions as the whole airline industry or the aviation industry so that took me by surprise and you know <laughs> that you mentioned that we're at a tipping point and there was a climate clock etc so I think an awful lot of lessons learned there for most of to show developers and IT professionals how they can think about their environmental footprint the environment is top of mind for a lot of people most of the time, but in the last number of months, uh, we've seen AI pretty much everywhere. So, you're back to talk to us about that, about the impact of data set imbalance on machine learning and AI.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And I know you can't see it, but I'm wearing the MongoDB podcast t shirt as well. So, I uh, love to see it. <laughs>
1: You're looking for a second one, then. So now, second <laughs> appearance, we we'll have to have an alternative. Unfortunately, we've only one type, but uh, a second one. So one one is in the wash. You can have you can have the other one available.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll be a brand ambassador. <laughs> But yeah, absolutely. So yeah, thanks for mentioning the previous one as well. That's still a topic that remains top of mind and continues to evolve even in in this context. But today I'm here to talk about is more so to do with this whole wave of AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning, LLMs or large language models that have taken over the tech world by storm. And that's Mm. not to say that's something that's new. It's just more to say that now it's become a more like... a day-to-day tech, something that every developer wants to incorporate into their apps. So I, I believe it. it's now important, especially as MongoDB is releasing AI-related functionality as well. So it's important that we talk about the implications and underlying issues that might impact such things.
1: And at our .local event in New York, which is our flagship .local event, we are running them this year in 30 cities across the globe. But there, we announced a lot of AI announcements. We announced an AI innovators program, we announced a partnership with Google Cloud AI, and we announced Vector Search. And obviously Vector Search for us is the linchpin to be able to do these AI efforts. For us, obviously Vector Search allows us to search images. We can use natural language processing. We can enhance what we can do for machine learning. So for those unfamiliar with Vector Search, each item or data point is now also represented by a vector which corresponds to a specific feature or characteristic of the item. They're embedded in alongside the data and it allows you to search for those much easier. So like similar images, etc., etc., can all now be searched, whereas beforehand it was really hard to do that. So now with vector search on MongoDB, you can store and search vector data uh, within MongoDB using the same document model that we've always had. This area in AI, as I said at the intro, was super new. But for you, it's been a while in this space because you had Mm -hmm. your thesis in this area, Snehal. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: That's right. I do feel a bit old now talking about my my (laughs) university days and past tense, but this is an area I focused on during my academic, did my master's thesis on the use of GANs or generative adversarial networks for addressing data set imbalance for image data sets. Prior to that, I'd worked on a couple other like mini projects trying to understand if like more data always means better machine learning algorithms or not and also worked in in research labs where we were trying to like get like surprising results back from recommender systems rather than just like the expected ones. So for example, if I've got my friends on my social media network, then mm-hmm. my Netflix should not just recommend things to me based on what I watch, but also based on what my friends watch and if we have a link in the common directors we like and things like that. I had been working in this space quite a bit before I joined MongoDB as well, and I still still keep up to date with it. So it's been something that's that's been going on in the academic community anyway for many years now
1: and ai has really come to the fore recently we see it associated with everything pretty much most of the tech companies have an ai story to tell now a lot of the huge amount of startups in the ai space we have actors worrying about their roles being replaced by <laughs> ai we have developers worried about their roles being replaced by ai we have search and prompt engineers as jobs now. So it's the complexity of and what AI is getting into is enormous. The one thing about it is it's all underpinned by data. And obviously the complexity of that data increases as we bring more AI and more machine learning. You're here today to talk about the effect that has on your data And your data structures. One of the pointers that you gave me when we were prepping for this was talking about data set imbalance. That was a kind of a new one of me. We're always talking about just getting the data, storing the data, capturing the data, keeping it up to date, archiving it off as needed, and we've still been able to query across that. Imbalance, I suppose, was something in my world I wasn't considering. Talk to us a little bit about the consequences of data set in balance on machine learning algorithms?
0: Absolutely. I think just because when we talk about like data science algorithms, so that's encapsulating everything, you're usually dealing with like really large data sets. So billions, trillions of data points, even. Mm. It's bound to happen that not all that data is going to be of perfect quality. So there's things like noise in the data set, there's missing values, lack of standardization of the way it's represented. And all these things are something that we're very conscious of when we're designing. And training our, our algorithms. So we have like the pre processing step, which is like a big thing in data set labeling and things like that before we actually start the training. But one thing that I- like very often gets overlooked and it's something that's easy to like skip as well. It's just addressing the fact that there might be a skew in the way the data is distributed or an imbalance in the data point, types of data points being represented. So that's what, if we talk about classification algorithms, which like point, look at an image or look at a data point and put it in one category or another, then that's where we can say it's like a class imbalance as well. So this can occur because of many reasons. So some mm-hmm, data sets mm-hmm. might just be, just by the nature of the problem, the natural frequency of occurrence of certain types of data might be okay. less than others. So if you talk about disease det- detection, maybe there's a rare d- disease that we're trying to detect. Mm-hmm. And even if you have a data set of like millions of people, maybe only 1% of them actually have that disease, right? And if we just go by that natural data set, that's not going to be very efficient because the model is generally trained on on cases where the disease is lacking, right? Mm -hmm. Similarly, when you try and do data sets on things like weather prediction, maybe you forget to take into account all the different areas. There's just many ways where this imbalance, because of just the natural frequency of occurrence of data, can creep into your training data. There's Mm -hmm. also sometimes issues that are beyond this. So if there's like an issue in the way data has been collected and stored, especially if you're looking at like sensor related data collection, maybe sensors can fail at certain points and maybe the network between the storage solution and the collection solution fails. And it's just because we're collecting so much data, we're not highly concerned about one or two data points failing but if they are critical to like getting the anomalies or the unlikely data in place then you know something that can often be overlooked
1: i suppose as the complexity of the data set increases this sony gets amplified more and more i think we like to collect all this data there would be an old adage that data never lies. But as you say, Mm -hmm. if we're not looking at this data, if we're not looking at the bias of this data, perhaps, then it could be biased towards, I think, as you mentioned, the majority. And then when we apply machine learning and AI to that, then that skews that up, correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like, in general, like what research has been trying to show, of course, there's no one conclusive fact that we can state because it's just so much from every use case. But as the complexity of the data set increases, the impact of the imbalance also increases. So if we go back to the weather prediction use case that I was talking about, maybe a couple of years ago, it would have just been based on historical trends of what the weather has been like in that area. But now, because of global warming, oftentimes it's hard to predict things based on historical trends. Mm-hmm. So now such data sets are also enriched with data being collected from physical sensors that are being placed around. So just to get more real-time weather input and also maybe sentiment analysis that's been carrying carried out on social media platforms to see how people are feeling about weather conditions in a particular location. So these applications often have to operate real-time, hard to determine if devices would fail, hard to determine how the maybe no one is talking Talking about the weather at a given time you can't really do sentiment analysis in real time either so mm, these mm-hmm. are like really real-time data collection and they are enriching the existing data sets and it's going on so really hard to sit back and think about how to make the data set balanced
1: and i suppose this is quite there's probably a cautionary tale to some of this as well too the more we rely on ai and ml to look at our data sets unless we're keeping a watchful eye on the outcomes of that or policing that in many respects then things and systems that maybe are automated such as I think I talked to somebody before in the podcast about most stock trading now is automated and I would imagine the algorithms and the predictions around that and if you have increasing complexity of a data set in that space then you're putting real money at risk as well, too. Give us an example of some other real-life scenarios where the impact of data imbalance could have a real effect. For example, as you were saying earlier, if we skip a data point or two because we think they're an outlier, you mentioned cancer studies and patients that, obviously, you hope that it's a very small fraction of people that exhibit those symptoms, but, in fact, that's what you're looking for. On the flip side, then you're saying we want to monitor all of the weather stations, but we see this massive anomaly. Let's not ignore that. How does that work out? Is there tools that can be used in machine learning algorithms to tease this out and manage these outside outliers?
0: So I think if we go back into like how exactly are some of the machine learning algorithms impacted, if you look at some of the very simple ones like logistic regression, this is just Mm -hmm. simply what it's doing is it's trying to find a boundary between two different types of data that exist in the data set. So this boundary gets pushed either in the favor of one or the other based on the formula okay. behind yeah. it. So likely what's going to happen is this boundary will will go towards the, towards the majority class in the data set. So when you give a new input to this algorithm, what that means is like the algorithm will likely try and find a result that corresponds with what the majority of the data set behaves like right mm-hmm. so if okay. you, the, you mentioned the cancer detection use case or let's say maybe fraud detection in transactions or mm-hmm. detecting nuclear leaks like things like that these are like rare occurrences thankfully okay. thankfully um, yes. when you (laughs) So when you think about this, and there are multiple kind of metrics that we might use to evaluate the efficiency of such algorithms, accuracy is a big one. So accuracy is essentially just defined as the ratio of correct predictions to the total number of predictions. So that just means that if you use accuracy in a highly imbalanced data set or an imbalanced data set, you can actually end up with misleading interpretations. If you go back to that 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 use case of cancer detection, if you're working on a hundred patients of a hospital out of which ninety nine are healthy and only one has cancer, then a classifier that is trained on this data set may just label the cancer patient as healthy and still mm-hmm. the model will have an accuracy of 99% and that's a very high accuracy to have so if we just extrapolate the scenario to a data set that contains 1 million samples it it can lead to 10000 cancer affected patients being labeled as cancer free which like really highlights Mm. the gravity of the situation. On the flip side, if we're too cautious as well, then what can happen is like we can see too many people being detected as having a disease. So it's like too many tests going on for a waste of medical resources, which we all know how important they are. So it does have like real life impact. And the reason we don't see it so much now is some, maybe some things like cancer detection, tsunami detection, things like that, they might Mm -hmm. actually Mm -hmm. be very conscious of the fact that these are anomalies, so these algorithms might be trained like that, or we actually have a lot of human input going into this as well. So there's probably not a case today where if a, if an algorithm detected as a customer or a, a patient having cancer or not, then a doctor won't take a second look. That's not going to happen today. But as we progress, and as technology progresses, and as our confidence in these AI solutions increases, it will Probably come to a point where we will take the word of this AI solution to be correct without even going back and having a having a second look. And the thing is that this seemed like a distant problem up until a year ago but now with the pace of uh, which it's progressing it's definitely something we need to start thinking about now as
1: i said at the beginning you see it an awful lot in the media now when will the ai take over and you see the terminator <laughs> clips from the movies being surfaced in a lot of articles yeah. as well too <laughs> that was a great explanation for the logistic regression i know in vector search we used the approximate nearest neighbor search. So for MongoDB vector search, there is that as well too in, in this kind of looking for these anomalies. we You have a nearest neighbor underlying logic as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So vector search is based on the KN algorithm or the KN neighbor algorithm, just like you mentioned. So that that is something that an algorithm that's used for the classification kind of problems, just like Logistic regression is, but also in many other use cases, such as stock price prediction or recommender systems or the likelihood of a loan being approved based on your credit score as well. So, what that algorithm does is essentially it finds the majority classes based on its nearest neighbors. So, if you have data points that are related to each other, it's going to see what its neighbors are looking like and consider a large number of, of its neighboring data points or similar data points and then make predictions based. Based on that so if you think about things like stock prediction etc it's not just mm-hmm. putting things in one category or another it's actually forecasting stuff as well so the imbalanced data set here would really depend on how big of a neighboring set are we considering or not and how much similar data we have in that neighboring set so again if you think okay. about it okay. some, the sensitivity to to imbalanced data can be considerably less if The value of K in K and N is small, so if only a small number of neighbors are considered for classification. But if the value of K is large, it just becomes more more sensitive because it's more likely Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. the nearest neighbors of a sample will belong to the majority class. This is an example of where it's not just about the data set anymore. It's also about how we are designing the algorithms. It's also about being conscious of the balance between understanding our data set and then also making sure we're putting in all the thought we need to put it into the algorithm during training to make sure we get the right results.
1: So essentially Snehal, the size of your data set is really important as well too in AI and machine learning, we hear about the large language models, obviously. And when they're large, they're enormous, right? The quantity that data is being consumed. And I know we have a number of projects underway in MongoDB in that space, particularly to help people code better using a model that's been trained on MongoDB, essentially, adding to all the languages that we support. So in all of this, then, depending on how this is managed and what algorithms are applied to, There could be a bias, obviously, and we've seen this reported before where bias of data trained on human faces for face recognition, etc., has backfired. Tell us a little bit about those scenarios then.
0: So, I think if we go back to really why are we discussing this issue, it's not just because we want our algorithms to be more performant or more accurate. Of course, we want all those things, but like the reason why this is really relevant right now is because we are starting to see all these technologies creep into our everyday mm-hmm. lives. So this is where like it starts impacting the society and individuals, right? So you talked about bias and face recognition systems. So maybe typically tech companies have emerged from, let's say, the Americas. And if you're using easily available data sets, over there it's very possible some ethnic minorities from other countries are not fully represented in it and we saw some cases where the phone wouldn't wouldn't unlock when when a minority person was trying to look at it or that it, between the faces of minority people like it would unlock for the wrong person as well which is which is just one of the problems but the bigger problem here would then be that the existing kind of human or systemic biases that we have right now they can actually get amplified to a much, much wider scale because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a a technology developed is not just for a particular region, it's propagated globally. Apart from just like these inconveniences of your phone not opening up or the voice detection algorithm not detecting vernacular accents or things like that, if you actually think about it, maybe I mentioned like a loan approval service based on credit rating, you can get unfair Mm -hmm. treatment, you can get denied services and resources if you're using these kind of systems in criminal justice systems maybe you can be subject to discrimination and wrongful kind of punishments or wrongful decisions and then if you think about even more vital more and more vital spaces such as healthcare, we talked about the, the disease detection algorithm where you can either have too less of people detected with the disease or too to many of them. Both of them are harmful either to the individual or to the wider like medical resources. Autonomous vehicles, they're trained on data sets from road, road occurrences and things like that. But if cars are designed to be shipped globally, then the data set should reflect driving conditions and behaviors of different countries as well. And there's very interesting studies there as well on like how different countries perceive what is ethical in driving or not and how different countries perceive based on their culture and their societal kind of structures. What, who should be punished for something wrong? For example, if someone makes a mistake, there are certain developed countries. In the developed countries, it's mostly observed that people believe that the person making the mistake should be punished. But in developing countries, because there's so many other factors, you might be making a mistake because of not your issue, but just because no one else around you is following the laws, which mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. personally firsthand seen in Delhi growing <laughs> up, <laughs> in New Delhi. Um, they're just straight out saying the person who made the mistake in the road accident should be punished is wrong because there's so much context behind it. And it's very easy to overlook these minor differences and the differences in, in, in conditions globally.
1: We could certainly do a whole podcast on <laughs> <the> <laughs> AI and machine learning for autonomous vehicles. We've all seen those dilemmas of the Group of school kids versus the old lady crossing the road. What does the autonomous car do? I'm a mad car fan, as anybody who knows me will know, but when we see the autonomous vehicle videos, particularly, obviously emanating from the US where most of that work is going on at the moment, they're big wide roads with really good weather conditions, proper turns, right hand, left hand, crossroads, those sort of things. I live in Ireland, our roads are pretty appalling, and our weather can be pretty hideous at times as well, too. So I've yet to see a good video of a car driving an unmarked road with rain coming in sideways. So I look forward to that someday, whenever they get to that. Been a really good discussion so far on the kind of causes of the imbalance, the potential risks of the imbalance and the real impact all of those examples that you've set out Sneha and how this impacts we tend to look at technology in the abstract oh it doesn't affect me but these as you say are decisions that machines and computers and programs and software are making on our behalf the probably most familiar with many might be you got rejected for a loan or something like that this Computer says no. We're all used to those forms that you fill in. What has come up out from all of this in terms of the ways of addressing this imbalance problem? Are there a number of tools? Are there a number of methods that? if done properly and applied correctly, can level set this again?
0: So I think that the first step there is being aware that the problem exists and Mm -hmm. wanting to do something about it from the get-go. But then if you think about it, what are some of the ways? And one of the very intuitive ones is just to level the data set, right? Resample the data until you find equality in the data points, of course, in cases Mm -hmm. where it makes sense. So, for example, if you can do oversampling, which is like just repeating random data points from the minority represented data points of minority classes until a balance is achieved. So easy to do. It can work well in some situations. If you think about an image data set, maybe you don't have to just repeat it. You can rotate it. You can blur it. You can stretch it out. So they are still like slightly different samples, but there you are augmenting a certain class, uh, which was minority before. Of course, there's like a possibility there that it can cause what we call overfitting in machine learning algorithms, which means the model becomes too focused on on a certain kind of data because it sees it occurring so many times. So this repetition has to also be done smartly so that the repeated data set brings some variety into the mix and it, the model doesn't just learn to like parrot back the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. it might not always be possible to just pick random data points and modify it like i talked about images but maybe in, in text and language it may be very challenging to actually repeat it mm-hmm. but with a variation and then make sure everything else is still preserved which is where like actually the generative networks themselves can be used for synthetic data generation Great. i alluded to my thesis previously that's where what i was trying to do was use these GANs or generative adversarial networks works to generate like fake realistic data points that can match the minority class and after a point it comes to a point where it's generating like very real looking data points you can't tell one from the other and that's a really good of a, a way of augmenting your data set as well to make sure that your your all your data set is balanced yeah so that's like increasing the amount of data, which is very intuitive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Another mm -hmm. way of doing this is undersampling, which is actually reducing the representation of the majority class so that it feels really counterintuitive because we're deleting data. No one wants to delete data. We all want more data. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I don't think that's the first thing that that pops up. But like in some cases, if done very carefully, it can actually be a preferable approach because we did Talk Mm -hmm. about this earlier on as well, that more data doesn't always mean a better model, especially Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you're thinking about cases where like, we're retraining existing models to fit our specific data set, which is what is actually happening. If you think about all these AI products that are out there in the market today, we'd pick them up and retrain them on our own data set. It doesn't require Mm. an extensive amount of retraining. We just need to contextualize it back. So in those cases, maybe undersampling is easier than oversampling. Of course, making sure we don't discard valuable information or we don't accidentally reduce the diversity of the training data in this process. Increasing and decreasing data set, making sure it's balanced is one way of doing it. Another way is just to look at it from an algorithmic perspective as well. Instead of actually altering the data distribution or the data set, you can make adjustments to the learning process in a way that maybe it increases the importance of minority class. Mm -hmm. So if you just shift the decision threshold to reduce the bias towards the majority classes or assign weighting in the training process in a way that underrepresented data classes are being given more weightage. You can always look at it from that perspective. Such modifications, like we discussed in the case of the K-nearest neighbor algorithm as well, you really need to have like domain knowledge and problem-specific expertise. So you need to know what is it that you're solving for. You can't just be a a machine learning
1: mm-hmm, engineer
0: mm-hmm. looking at it from a purely tech problem. You have to have an idea of what is the problem, what is the context, what is the social context, what are the factors we can monitor and how. So, you know, that or trial and error. So it, again, it requires a bit of thought to go behind it.
1: As we said all along, the speed and of which all of this is happening, the speed at which these new methods are coming out. Is it nearly chicken and egg? In other words, We need a lot of data to figure (laughs) out whether our our data needs to be oversampled, undersampled. We need to apply that algorithm to that data to figure out whether it's the algorithm that needs to change. You mentioned trial and error there. There is a bit of this going on all of the time, I suppose, as well, too, to figure out the best approach. How would you measure the efficiency of an algorithm? What metrics would you bring Mm. forward to figure out, are we doing the right thing?
0: yes that's an interesting one right we discussed in the context of the disease detection algorithm the use of accuracy which is the ratio Mm -hmm. of correct predictions to the total predictions and this is the most commonly used metric in in any kind of learning algorithms machine learning algorithms but we saw how it could give you misleading interpretations as well another issue is not just that if the training data set is imbalanced but the testing data set Mm -hmm. is not because we usually split the data set into train and test sets. It can actually cause another issue where like the training is done on an imbalanced data set, but in the testing, we've actually seen a different kind of results. So we might just go, okay, even if we, change the accuracy measure. And even if you improve it, the discrimination that occurs doesn't really change. So being conscious about making sure the whole data set is balanced in the same ways is, is also important. But so accuracy is one, but it's not enough by itself. I okay. need to think about some other measures as well, such as precision, which essentially measures how many predictions were correct. So how many total predictions you have versus how many of those were actually correct. So hand in hand with that goes recall as well, which is like the true positive rate, which is like how many predictions are actually the same as what the actual labels were for those data sets. So that's actually, again, measuring it against your trained test data set. So you see the prediction and then you Mm -hmm, actually mm -hmm. go back and check what that actual data set would have been like but then combining these two is like another one called f1 score because multiple reasons just precision and recall are not enough and this might be very boring to someone who's not actually training models but just it's just more way of saying we need to make sure we're measuring the right metrics so accuracy by itself is not enough and that's often the biggest one that people tend to measure
1: We tend to talk about AI and ML as abstracting the humans from the process, but it seems to me that there's still a very valid place there for almost train the trainer or train the machine algorithm and keep an (laughs) eye on it to make sure everything is going well. And that's probably a very stacked process, layers upon layers, as things move on. What else can we do usually? We see these stories come out about AI and ML, when they affect people. In essence, if a computer system breaks down and goes down and a few websites are offline or the banking system goes down for a couple of hours, it's the fact that people couldn't do what they wanted to do. So when it comes to AI and ML, particularly for human-facing technology, things that we interact with, What else can we do to make sure that the process is robust? Everything will and should be as balanced as possible and as functional as possible as we remove more and more of these kind of decisions and monitoring from the human stack and put it over to the tech stack, as it were?
0: Yeah, so I think that's like a a wider question, right? It goes beyond Mm. what... Is the issue What is is the data set Balanced or not That was the theme so far But I think this is mm. a question That's like more As you mentioned It's more like a human level question A few of the techniques That have been like suggested In general When we talk about Like ethical implications Of technology and stuff Is for example Having white box algorithms Anyone and everyone Even non-technical people They should be able To understand exactly How the decision making Is happening And this has been A particular okay. problem In the world world of ai because we don't understand even as designers of these algorithms we don't understand how exactly are these neural networks assigning weights how are they doing predictions Hmm. so this Mm -hmm. is by default, it is a black box algorithm, even for someone who's very intimate with that. So one of the suggested techniques is actually explainability in AI. So any decisions okay. that algorithms make that can affect people, they should be explainable, their working should be exposed, their understandability and fairness and all these things should be exposed in whatever capacity it's, it's possible to do. But of course, we, we think about it, these projects are usually by made by companies and they might not want to expose their ip they might not want to share that amount of Mm, information mm. of how they're advancing and also another way to think about this is like exposing this much detail might just render these things vulnerable to like social engineering or hacking so of course appropriate measures need to be taken so another way to think about it is actually carrying out validation on these, these tools, which is like black box validation. So if trans- designing transparent systems is not possible, then the testing of these systems should be done thoroughly and transparently, which means that you think okay. about mm-hmm. testing, testing the algorithm in every possible or thinkable situation and you make those tests public. So if, for example, I'm mm-hmm. looking at that and I'm going like, wait, my situation was not tested here, I can feed that back and that, that, that democratize the testing of it in a way. And then, of course, like that we need to have maybe more code of ethics for developers and designers so that we can ensure that personal bias or unintentional systemic bias doesn't mm, creep mm. into the systems. And I always, I always believe this and I see this being said very often is like technology advances way faster than laws and legal systems and frameworks do. So definitely we need A lot more of that as well regulation from the government regulation from legal bodies and that needs to be at the same pace as the evolution of technology and ultimately just spreading education and awareness making sure that if every person regardless of what they do is going to be affected by technology then it's only fair that every person regardless of their educational backgrounds or their profession should understand what that does
1: And I think, again, like some of the other topics in our conversation, this is an episode of its own. As you said, companies want to have a technical advantage. They want to have a competitive advantage, and that's not always exposed. We've seen that across the board through many companies. The code of ethics, again, depending where this technology is originated from, that can very much vary. I know we see, particularly in Europe, we see a lot of clamp down from some of the major tech companies in European regulations that don't apply to them in the U.S. or don't apply to them in Asia and other regions as well too. So this issue of code of ethics for companies, and you mentioned it in particular respect to developers and designers, I think that's an intrinsic code of ethics most people might have themselves. But when it comes to companies, it's something different. And above all, it's probably the last point that you mentioned there, Snehal, that resonated with me the most, education and awareness. We cannot say the machine says no. We cannot say the black box just <laughs> did X. I think too many times we rely on that as an almost a first line of defense when something doesn't go correctly. So education and awareness as we go forward is great from my particular perspective, As a developer, one of the things I mentioned in the intro was AI creating your code for you. Who's policing that code? Who's debugging that code? Who's making (laughs) sure that that's done correctly as well, too? I think in much the same way that we don't know a lot about AI at the moment and the speed in which it's happening is scary to some, I think this will open out opportunities going forward. It's the same way that before social media You know, we have a whole industry now that has opportunities. Yes, it has its own faults. Before mobile, before apps, there were still developers developing things. Now we just have different devices in which to consume this. And I think the key, as I said, is that the education awareness piece, it's very simple to look back on the stories we see about ML and AI, mostly in the negative, because that's what sells newspapers or websites or access it's you put out those stories but going back to one of your examples if we can use ai for early detection of onset of cancer that could be missed by the human eye for example that in itself is a huge bonus to humanity as a whole i think there is a tendency to think that ai will take over everything what's your own thoughts on that (laughs) is there always an machine learning ai solution for all of the problems that we're looking at these days
0: yeah i think that's the overarching question here we need to stop and ask do we really need an lm for this Mm -hmm. do we really need every single shopping websites chatbot to be powered by chat gpt do we really need to like introduce lms in let's say historical analysis that's Mm -hmm. Pretty easily done with the tools we have right now. And I'm not saying that because I'm against it. Of course, ultimately, we want to personalize, we want to improve the experiences, but we have to really think about the impact it has in general on, on society, on people, as we discussed, but also on the environment. So the MIT Technology Review reported that training just one AI model can emit more than so many it can emit the equivalent carbon dioxide of the lifetime emissions of an average American car, five times of that actually. So that's like five, five, times of a lifetime of a car's mission just for one model and you think about how many models are being trained just in the second as we speak and also because these are very demanding algorithms hardware can be rendered mm-hmm. obsolete more quickly of course there's like specialized hardware as well but not all of us have access to it and it hasn't yet evolved in a way where every single data center is ready to train machine learning algorithms and do that level of computations becomes really hard to deal with that waste management things like like that, I mean, The environment is one, the society is another. Do we really need to introduce it right now? That's a question we need to ask in every single kind of use case. In some places, yes, of course, it makes total sense. But in others, when it doesn't, the wider implications need to be balanced for.
1: So do we need some sort of AI police? Do we need <laughs> somebody to say, Should you apply this? And touching on the environmental thing certainly brings us back to your original podcast with us as well, too. Obviously, as these models progress, there's more storage required. There's more compute required. We all think of this almost as a throwaway. We're used to asking our voice assistants for the answer to something, but we fail to see the chain that happens in the background that 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 initiates and that potential environmental footprint there. I'm based in Ireland. I know that we have a currently ongoing debate because we have a huge amount of data centers based in Ireland. And they are consuming about nearly 30% of our output in power generation in the country as a whole, because all the major providers are there. But it is a concern. As we increase the amount of data that's required for these large language models, and that's required for true AI and machine learning to really benefit and come into its own, there is that unseen impact that almost black box effect as you talked about with the software and the algorithms, we have a black box effect to there's a big building there somewhere that's a data center and it does things. And we need to be concerned about that. This was an area that I was not so familiar with prior to jumping on this conversation with you. I am intrigued now, everything that you've gone through here (laughs) has been so well explained. I do appreciate that. Snehal. Any last comments for our audience as to if they're interested by this or if they want to go and learn more? Is there any sites that you use to keep abreast with all of this changes in this space?
0: Really, all all over the place. I tend to rely a little bit more on research papers than I do on like blog posts mm-hmm. and articles. Because, like you mentioned, they're always go, oh AI will end the world, and I don't believe that. <laughs> I just believe we need to be more more conscious about it. I think that would be. I don't have a specific source. To, to recommend. But what I would recommend is looking not at like news articles and blog posts and opinionated posts, unless they're people you trust, but rather looking at like actual research metrics and research papers and yeah, things that are that have been proven out and tested.
1: Excellent. If we all took that view and didn't go <laughs> to the socials and the media outlets, we would probably be much more informed generally (laughs) i know for me if i hear radio shows or tv programs talking about developing and computing and they bring on these experts it's always as my wife says i always end up (laughs) shouting at the television or the radio when that happens because (laughs) the sound bites and look hey this is a podcast it's somewhat a soundbite as well too this is not a deep dive into this area (laughs) but it is important to go to the source of this there's too much particularly now because of the speed and the advancements of AI, certainly since, and look, ChatGPT entered the world properly, publicly, really, I suppose, last November or so. And ever since then, it's all AI, 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 and my youngest used it to do his homework one time and i was oh. quite impressed as a parent a, a technical parent but also quite annoyed <laughs> that he skipped doing his homework properly and asked chat GPT <laughs> to do it for him so look we'll have to watch this space and again another episode possibly the education mm-hmm. going forward of our of our children when every answer is just a click away where does that leave us as well too but a lot of food for thought in this conversation Snehal. Thank you so much for so clearly explaining this and I suppose the, the impact of data set imbalance, how algorithms and looking at the data can assess that as well too and above all that we very much are still at the beginnings of this space and the tools and the knowledge is still evolving at a rapid rate that we need to keep an eye on this. Snehal Patia, Thank you so much for joining us on the MongoDB podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: A fascinating conversation as ever with Snehal there. And I certainly learned a huge amount about the ever-advancing area of machine learning and AI. And it seems that we're only getting started in our understanding of the ramifications of offloading decision-making processes to automated systems. Thanks to Snehal for enlightening us. As ever, if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. We really do appreciate it. And so for me, Shane McAllister, and the rest of the podcast team here at MongoDB. until next time, take care, and thanks for listening.